How many of you here have been here and have either met Clem or heard Clem's teaching before? Raise your hands. I'd like to get an idea. All right. So you know the blessing you're going to be receiving. The rest of you are in for a real blessing as Clem comes and shares this morning. As I said, Clem is out of North Carolina, but typically before COVID and he'll be getting ramped up again, he goes worldwide. With his ministry, he's a prophetic voice. The Lord uses him in teaching and prophesying. Um, we are very blessed to have him here with us. So would you just welcome Clem Ferris with me as he comes? Take your liberty. So, yeah, springtime this year. It's so good. You know, it's springtime when in Minnesota hits 50 degrees and kids go water jet skiing. Like, what are you thinking? Anyway. We had a great time at the conference. For those who were there, you know, it was just a blessing. It was a special blessing to have my pastor, Kendrick Renard, sharing, and I just love his heart and such a joy. I've been at Grace Church in Chapel Hill for now almost 21 years. Before that, we pastored and planted down in Florida, and um, so this is a good good season, and uh, I'm excited. I've booked my first international trip in June, first time, and it'll be 15 months being in the United States, all consecutive days longest in 25 years I've been in the United States that long. It's like, I got to get out of here. It's like, it's like, well, we're here and God is with us. And uh, isn't it great? I just love what's happening with Mike and Cindy coming up. I know that there's some great days coming up for you as a church. And so let's buckle in to see what God had to say about his, uh, his seasons and times. We're going to look at understanding prophetic times and seasons. We're going to base it out of a great text, which you probably are familiar with, in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. So let's go there. Let's start there. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 1. I'm just going to read this particular verse out of the King James Version. To everything there is a season. Say everything. Oh, good. You're a talking church. That's good. God likes talking churches. That's good. Uh, to everything there's a season and a time to every purpose. Say purpose. Oh, yeah, that's the hidden gem in a time and season. A time to every purpose under the heavens, understanding that all that happens in the earth, all times, all seasons, all purpose is under a greater authority, superintended, watched over, orchestrated, mandated, if you will, by God from heaven. That's a comforting place to start. Everything we're doing is under the watchful eye of our God, our Father, our Creator. So we have to believe that God ordains the times and seasons. We don't believe in open theology. He's not up there kind of watching and going, hmm, I never saw that coming. I would have never done it that way. However, God's not up there just kind of watching. He ordains the times and the seasons to the point that Jesus actually rebuked the Pharisees in Matthew 16 saying this. He goes, look, you can look at the sky and you can predict the weather. That's before they had weather apps. They didn't have them back then. But we just look at our app and say, yep, it's going to rain at 2 o'clock. But they had to look at the sky and predict the weather, yet he rebuked him and said, but you don't understand the signs of the times. You can't see the signs of the times. And I think there's a little bit of a rebuke to the Pharisees, but there's an admonition to the people of God saying, you know what? You can know the signs of the times. We can know because we have the Holy Spirit. I mean, Jesus said in John 16, he says, I'm going to send the comfortable or the comforter, and he is going to kind of lead you in the truthful ways, for he will only speak what he hears the Father say, and, this is the best part of that verse, he will show you things to come. We're the only people on the planet that have an inside track to the future, the real future, not fake news, not, not just 
you know, carnal predictions, not just future casting and, and ideas. We can know what God is up to because he said, you'll have the Holy Spirit. He will show you things to come. And in that context, we have to understand the times and the seasons. The church cannot stay the way it is, otherwise we'd be done. If everything we'd be doing up to now would have gotten the job done, we'd be all in heaven. So there must be some things that God is yet going to change in the way we're doing church, in the way that we're going to reach the lost people in this particular time and season. And if we go just dial back one year and just go, wow, I didn't see that coming. And wow, look what's changed in the church in 12 months. Online services. Good morning, everybody online. You weren't here a year ago. Now you're here. (laughs) You know, what's changed in the last year? Massive change. Massive understanding of God's times and seasons. And so we're going to go to another prophet to help us understand this in the Old Testament, the prophet Jeremiah. One verse out of Jeremiah chapter 8, verse 7, where Jeremiah is going to help us understand what we call the requirement to know the signs of the times. It's not just a great idea. It's like, well, you know, that's a great idea. It's like, it's more than a great idea. We learn from Jeremiah how essential and how actually vital it was to understand the times and seasons. So he's going to teach us that by giving us a lesson about the birds. How many think you can learn something from a bird this morning? Isn't that good? Two people? Good. How many, how many never raise your hand in church? Okay, that's the rest of you. Okay, so we're going to learn something from the birds in Jeremiah chapter 8, verse 7. Now watch this. It says, even the stork in the heavens knows her times. The turtle dove, the swallow, the crane, they keep the time of their coming. The time of their coming would be better translated from one word in the Hebrew of they know the time of their migration. They know when to move. But now he kind of contrasts birds with people and says, my people don't know the rules or the requirements of the Lord. It's a little bit of a rebuke. Jeremiah says, look, if the birds know their time of migration, when to move, when God says move, shouldn't my people know what God requires? The time of their coming, (laughs) migration, it's a bird principle. It's actually a creation principle. It's something that God built into creation. The principle of migration is the idea of moving from a lower or decreasing resource to one of higher increasing resource. That's what migration is for. Why do birds migrate? Why do they leave Minnesota in November? Well, I think some of you snowbirds know why, right? We have any snowbirds here? Nobody wants to admit it, but you know who you are. And we know who you are when you come back with a tan in February. Where did you get that tan? There's two primary reasons for migration. Number one, they're looking for new food sources. Hmm. Because there's a burgeoning insect population somewhere down south there. And there's new plants that are budding out, new insects. And they're looking not only for new food, but they're looking for a new nesting location because they're ordained by God to be fruitful and multiply. Therefore, they need new nesting, a new breeding ground. Do you know that God's moving the church into new breeding grounds? We're finding new places to nest and breed, online breeding. Never thought it was possible. But see, we have to know what God requires. What's God shifting? Prophetic words and prophetic ministry amongst the other ministries of Christ bring change. They help bring change to the body of Christ and break what we call stasis. The word stasis simply means a lack of movement because of a heavy weight. I believe 
part of what we've suffered through the last 12 months is a sense of so much weight that it put the body of Christ into stasis. And see, the word of the Lord comes to break that, to break that feeling like, oh my gosh, I can't move. There's spiritual weight. There's darkness. And there's truly darkness, but that was prophesied by Isaiah. Gross darkness will continue to come upon the earth, but the light of the glory of the gospel will continue to shine brighter. When you're going down these country roads late at night with your low beams on, the darker it gets, click on those high beams, poof, gets brighter, doesn't it? You don't need them in sunrise. You don't need those high beams. The darker it gets, the more light will shine. So we're understanding that God is up to something in the times and the seasons. There's something about migration that he's requiring of us as people. Even the stork in the heaven knows her times. They know when to migrate. But my people don't know the requirements of the Lord. You see, God is the one that's legislating change of seasons. He sets the times and seasons. We don't. Wouldn't we like to? You better hope not. (laughs) There's so many prayers that God doesn't answer, and you should be saying, thank you, Lord. Thank you for not answering those crazy prayers of mine. The birds observe the appointed times because they know if they stay in the current season, they could eventually die. And so they migrate. It's a creation principle. Nobody has to tell a bird to migrate. God coded them to know. They don't need a bird prophet. They might get a tweet from one of their friends every now and then on Twitter, but other than that, they know it's time to go. Can't stay in the old season. We have to go. And crisis is an indicator in the body of Christ. Whenever there's crisis, something's happening in the spirit world. Don't forget that. You can't just say this is an earthly problem. It's something that God allows to come in and move us and migrate us. Crisis is always an accelerator. I don't know about you, but my life was accelerated over the last 12 months. Even though I was in lockdown, I wasn't locked up. I was moving. I had to move with God. God was requiring things. Let's look at that word. My people don't know the requirements of the Lord. A strong Hebrew word, mishpat. Mishpat means not only just a great idea, it's, it's something legislated. There's a judicial kind of authority behind this word, a legal sentencing, a divine law, not just a suggestion from God. My people don't know what God is legislating from heaven. Remember, all these times and seasons are what? Under heaven where God sits and adjudicates all the affairs of mankind from all of history. You go, yes, God is sovereign, but not this year. Not this week, not yesterday, was he? So we have to willingly embrace the effort to migrate. Migration takes effort. Ask the birds. It takes a little effort. They got to pack, right? Got a plan. Got to get their Google reservations in. I mean, no, they just have to go. It's time to go. Go. Leaving sometimes things behind. That's the hard part about migration. Sometimes things change. Sometimes your relationships change because of migration. You might lose some friends. It can be a little bit uncomfortable, but you have to willingly embrace the effort that it takes to migrate into new spiritual positions so that God can fulfill his mandate in the earth. God has a plan to reach Ballatin and Marshall and the western part of Minnesota and so on and the regions and and the nations. You're still going to reach nations. I'm convinced we're going to reach nations like never before. But to do that, We must migrate. We must move into our spiritual position with God. So we know from the birds that if you stay in an old season too long, you could die. If you stay in an old message too long, hello, you could die. It could kill you. You We need new sources of food supply in a season where God's challenging us to migrate. We move away and it 
it go, sometimes we go from a macro level to a micro level, from large things to small things. All you have to say is, God, I need to move to the next season of my life. How do I do that? Well, part of it is the way we proclaim the gospel. The frequency of our proclamation must change with God. Hasn't that changed? Have we not seen that in the last year? In the last year, the way we've communicated our message has changed drastically. Much online platforms, Zoom meetings, small groups online. I did so much ministry from my basement last year. International. I was doing prophetic meetings in South Africa, prophesying to leaders in Scotland from my basement. And I looked nice from the stomach up. Nobody saw what I was wearing under the desk. But anyway, I was comfortable. Sweatpants, socks. <laughs> but, you know, the frequency of our proclamations changed because we're moving into new places of declaration. How will we reach them who have not heard? New places of declaration, new ways to communicate. And, you know, if we're not aware of that, the lack of spiritual awareness is actually a, a kind of a violation of God's divine system and plan for what he has for the, for the end times. We just say, God, just bring the end times, but leave us alone. Don't make us uncomfortable with all this end time nonsense. Just get it over with. God says, do you not care for those that are yet to perish? So God's expectation is to know. My people don't know, so he expects us to know and respond. Not just know. That was a great message, Mike. Thanks for letting us know. And every pastor goes, ah, uh, that's half of it. Let's respond. Whenever God talks, whenever God reveals something, he wants us to respond. You can't hear a word from God and not change. That's the whole goal of a word from God is to transform us to be more Christ-like, to move carnal kind of, you know, the, the carnal development of our lives and the mortality that we're trapped in to move us into a stronger position of immortality. If you're looking for a prophetic word this morning and a word of your destiny, I'll give it to you all at once, everybody, all inclusive. Are you ready? Someday you'll be immortal. Are you happy now? You got your word. Where, where am I headed, Lord? Immortality. We're all heading there. Different phases, different times, different ways, but that's where we're headed. And God has an expectation not just to know, but how do we respond then to each and every appointed time, to everything there's a season and an appointed time, to every purpose under the heavens? So my question, first of all, tonight, or today is, what is going to be the nature of your response at the end of the day? Not how was the meeting. It's what do I do now that the meeting's over? I got a loud response, okay. And no one can tell you. You have to hear it from God. Prophets are good because they build prophetic capacity into you. They challenge you to hear. They challenge you to open your ears. They want you to hear from God. They don't want to just do all the hearing for you. That's part of the equipping of a five-fold prophet is to build prophetic capacity into the saints so that you can hear from God and then you can respond and not blame somebody else. How convenient that has been. <laughs> but all knowledge must be met with response. Because God's voice carries with it resource. Don't forget that. When God talks, it's full of resource, full of energy. When God opens his mouth, he doesn't speak English. Isn't that good? He doesn't speak Hebrew or Greek or Chinese. When God opens his mouth, it's divine resource. It's energy that comes from the divine. It comes out of God himself. It's, it kind of pulsates out in energy because it's full of love for people. And it 
targets the heart of man, pulsates from heaven down into earth, and then prophetic people, ah, they have the antenna, do-do-do-do-do-do-do, incoming, we have a pulsation coming, I don't have it yet, and then we begin to wrap words around that divine pulsation and deliver it into the ear of a human. That's called a prophecy. That's how it works. That was happening this morning. Michael's incoming. Need some healing here. God wants to heal. God wants to touch some people. What do we do? We begin to put language around God's heart of love for you. And he puts words around it and brings an invitation prophetically to you. says, come get prayer. See, that's how that works. It's not rocket science. It's just listening. Sensing God's divine energy that wants to come to us. And God's, God opens up new vistas and new ideas. And he opens up things that were called to walk in, called to live in, and that energy doesn't go away as long as we walk in obedience. It's always there. Some of you have prophetic words hanging over your life for days and months and years and weeks, and it's still there. But you like a catcher in a baseball, you've got to catch it. The prophetic word is launched like a ball, and then somebody has to catch it. You've got to have that heart. We sang it about God opening our heart. Touch my heart. What does that mean? Touch my heart so that I'm receptive. Give me a receptive heart, not a judging heart. A receptive heart that catches what God intends when he launches a word into your life. Everything, there's a season and a time. Time. Oh, if we had a Christian four-letter word that we don't like, it's the word time. And it's sister word, wait. Two dirty four-letter words that humans have to suffer through. Time and wait. But let's look at them as they're described here. If we look back in chapter 3 of Ecclesiastes, Solomon begins to describe now 28 different times that humans go through, that we go through in life. I don't have it on the screen, but if you just look or listen... Chapter 3, verse 2 through 8 now, he describes them. There's a time to be born and a time to die. Any questions? Any questions on that one? How are we doing so far? Okay, it's like, okay, bookends. A time to plant, a time to pluck up what's planted, a time to kill, a time to heal. Watch the extremities that Solomon unloads on us in one sentence, one phrase. A time to kill, a time to heal. A time to break down, but a time to build up. A time to weep, but a time to laugh. In the same sentence, extremities of emotion. A time to mourn, but a time to dance. A time to cast away stones, a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace, a time to refrain from embracing. That's for the youth group, Wednesday night. Anyway, a time to seek, a time to lose. Oh, there you go. Now you've already got your list going like me. You go through these and go, I don't like that one. Well, that's not bad. I think I can get through that one. Ooh, I don't like that one. We get our little column, you know, and like, these are the good seasons, these are the bad seasons. I'll pray for these, I'll rebuke these, and good luck. I don't want a time to lose, brother. What if you go on a diet? That's a good time to lose. See, it's context. Every one of these have their own season, and everyone has their own context. You might be in a losing season because you're on a diet, but somebody else might be going through a loss of a, a loved one or, or some other loss, and it's context. And you can't impose one upon the other. So there's a time to keep and a time to cast away, a time to tear and a time to sow, 
A time to keep silence, a time to speak, a time to love, a time to hate. In the same verse, what? Can't do them simultaneously. These are different seasons God moves you in and out of. But even God himself hates. God who is love sometimes hates. Says it in his word. These six things the Lord hates in Proverbs. A lying tongue, a proud look, a hands that shed innocent blood. There's things that God hates and yet he is love. And then finally a time for war and a time for peace. I love that finality. That's called eternity. A time for peace. But right now, it's a time for war. We're in warfare. We serve on a battleship, everybody, not a cruise line. I say, God, give me another drink. It's like, what time's dinner? It's like, no, we're not on a cruise line cruising to the finish. We're on a warship battling for the souls of men and women in a time when everything's melting down. So we understand time from the Greek for just a minute. Let me t- this little word in the Hebrew is the word eighth. It's spelled E-T-H, eighth. But we understand a little better from the two Greek words for time. One is chronos. Chronos time is just chronological time. It's where we get the word chronological. It's uh, measurable. It's hours and seconds and weeks and months and years. It's how we measure times from start to finish the calendar. It has no moral or ethical considerations on your life. You can't speed it up. On Monday and slow it down on Friday, don't you wish you could? Can't do that. Empty of purpose, you can't stop it, can't start it, it just goes. But then there's kairos time, different Greek word, kairos, an appointed time, a due season, what we call a supreme moment in the mind of God from all of eternity where he says, on that day and in that season, this is going to happen. He ordains the times and seasons. A now time. Scripture says, in the fullness of time, God sent his son. Do you know God wasn't early and he wasn't late sending Jesus right into the Roman Empire? Like, God, why don't you send him into modern-day America? We could sure use him now. (laughs) He said, nope, right in the middle of a wicked empire. I'll send my son to redeem. So there's a time for every purpose. Seasons come, seasons go. They start, they end. And every season is impregnated with purpose. Some divine purpose that must be discerned. Something God wants executed in the earth. For us, in 2021, living through a global pandemic, God has a purpose for us. It's no mistake you're living on planet earth right now. You were made for this, if I could say it that way. You were made for such a time as this. And every segment is full of divine purpose And it has divine resource. Don't ever forget that. If God tasks you to do something, he will supply the resource to get it done. So what is success then for us in this season? Here's what success is for the Christian. It's just an accurate prophetic march through the season you're in. That's it. Get through it. Can I tell you something? You are successful, Victory Church. You know why? You've made it this far. You've come through an incredible season. And you're still here. That's success, an accurate, watch, prophetic march. It means we walk with God, walking by the street, just walk with God, sometimes in desperation, sometimes clinging like a three-year-old to father's hand. Ah, where are we going? I don't know. Just trust daddy. Just hang on for dear life. An accurate prophetic march through the season, sensing those series of divine pulsations that God pulsates down to encourage us and resource us. And you question, 
but yet you'll receive. And you must ask the question right now, what is the divine resource God is pulsating into my life right now? Do you know you've been resourced in the last year? There's something God put in you that wasn't there before. And you have to go back to God and say, what is it you've done in the last 12 months in my life? Well, how did you resource me? What do I have now that I didn't have before? You know, I've got some incredible resources in my life I didn't have a year ago. Because of my crazy traveling ministry, I was never part of a small group in my own church because I just couldn't attend. Now I'm in two small groups, one on Monday morning and one on Friday morning. And I can go, I can join them from wherever I'm at unless I'm too far out west and it's 4 o'clock in the morning. Sorry, guys, I will not be participating. But you know what I'm saying? I'm part of some incredible small groups now that I was never a part of before. I have met men at my own church, and I still to this day, there's two of them I haven't met in the flesh yet. I know I'm on a screen. Pick them out on any screen. But I haven't met them person to person yet. But, I mean, I love these guys. They're my brothers. We connect. We pray together. We share struggles. It's great. A new resource that God put in my life that I would have never reached for until this change of seasons came. So we walk out the season higher. Do you realize whatever season God thrusts you in, you come in at one level, you always come out higher. You know why? We are in an upward call in Christ. Everything God calls you to do, good, bad, ugly, don't want to, don't like it, don't bear witness, come up with all your great spiritual excuses, God says, nevertheless, this is my divine plan. He puts us in a season, but you come out higher than when you went in and full of resource you never had before. So let's define these terms for just a minute and then finish the text. But when he says to everything there's a season, then what exactly is what we call a prophetic season? What makes it prophetic? First of all, it's God-ordained and God-communicated. Anytime heaven communicates with earth, it's prophetic. I can't dumb it down anymore other than that. And what's the purpose of the prophetic? I can't dumb it down any more than to say one purpose, to make you more Christ-like. The only purpose of fivefold Christos that flows through Jesus into man is to become like him. Every apostle, every prophet, every evangelist, pastor, teacher has one job description to equip the saints, to let Christos flow through them and be distributed into the body of Christ, making y'all, as we say in North Carolina, making y'all more like Jesus. That's the goal. So when we have a prophetic season, now here in Western Minnesota, do you like, do you like good news than bad news, or do you like the bad news and good news? Which, how do you, what do you prefer? Any prefer? Bad first, let you down, right? And then lift you up. That, that's a good, I think that's a good way to do it. It's like the old pastor was really, he was dying, he was on his deathbed, and called his wife and said, honey, I have one dying request. What, what's that, dear? He said, I, I just like, I'd like the elders to be my pallbearers at my funeral. She goes, oh, okay. Any particular reason why? He goes, well, I just want him to let me down one more time. <laughs> That's a pastor joke. Nobody else got that but Mike and the elders, okay, because they love each other. We just poke fun of the people we love, right? I'm kidding. All right, we'll let you down. What is a prophetic season? A prophetic season is an undetermined amount of time. Stop right there. That's, I just let you down. Like, we want to know. We're Americans and we have Google. We should know exactly. It's like, it's an undetermined amount of time. Ready? Lift you up. Of limited duration. That's the good news. It doesn't last forever. 
There is a time period and a time sequence, an undetermined amount of time, of a limited duration in which God brings an incredible challenge to us prophetically. We're challenged to do something beyond our natural abilities. That's called a, a season. I'm in a season. How do you know? All hell's breaking loose. I've been challenged like never before. I've never been this way before. I don't know. I don't have an answer. Welcome to a prophetic season in your life. Dial back 12 months ago. I was happening. I don't know. I don't, nobody prophesied it. Nobody told me. I, how do we, oh, it'll be over by May. June at the latest. I kept telling myself in delusion a year ago as I was in London, England ministering and heading to Uganda in mid-March and suddenly it's like, get home. The borders are closing. Get home or live the rest of the next year in Africa. I think I'll go home. Boom, come home. It's like, well, this will blow over. We'll be out of here. Why Easter? You know, the prophecies are starting to come, pass over. It's like nobody saw it coming. I'm thinking, well, by June I'll be back on the road. Nope. Well, maybe by the end of the summer. Well, certainly by the fall, nope. Getting around the states, thankfully. You know, undetermined amount of times mess up our American minds. But God brings a challenge that is impossible for you to get through without him. That's the whole point. Like, do you need me now? (laughs) It's not like, can you hear me now? It's like, do you need me now? Yes, Lord, we need you. A prophetic time, very similar that time sequence, that F, that, de- that appointed time, that supreme time, is also undetermined time of limited duration. But this is where God is now working out a specific phase of his purpose in your life. Now God puts his finger on his purpose for the season in that time, whether it's a time to weep or a time to laugh or a time to cast away stones or a, that time, God says, I'm bringing purpose How does God bring purpose? Oh, he's sneaky. We sometimes call him Jehovah Sneaky. It's one of his other redemptive names that's not in the Bible, but it fits. Where God sneaks up on you and starts putting things in your life that bring purpose. How does he do it? Very simple. Pressure. Don't say it. I won't make you say pressure. It's close to another four-letter word like time and weight, but pressure. Why? Because the Hebrew word for curve is literally, behind it is an action word that literally means to bend or curve. That's what the word purpose means. To bend or curve something. If an artist takes a lump of clay, he says, the ultimate purpose is for you to be a pot. And so I'm going to begin to what? Put pressure on this piece of clay because there's great purpose behind this lump of clay using Jeremiah and others' analogies of the potter clay. That's what God does. He just puts you in the spin cycle and starts putting pressure on your life where you're spinning around dizzy and all this pressure is going and going, God, what are you doing? He goes, I'm making something beautiful. I'm bringing purpose. I'm designing you. I'm making you into what I ordained you to be from before the creation of the earth. Just be patient. Hang on, son. So what is the purpose of these seasons? What's the purpose of the current season you're in right now? or what you've been through, let me help you from Solomon. Solomon's going to help us here. We're going to exegete just three quick verses, maybe four four verses, just to help us right here in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, beginning in verse 9. So the purpose of a season, first of all, is to press us, that's the word pressure, to pressure us, if you will, to birth something new, to bring forth something new 
that equates to purpose in your life. Notice verse 9 and 10. Ecclesiastes 3, verse 9 and 10. Solomon says, well, what profit is there to the worker from that in which he toils? Do you ever feel like that? Almost like what's, it's so futile. What's the profit? Mike, why do we have to have, keep having prayer meetings? What's, what's the point? He hasn't done any good. This COVID thing's still hanging around. What profit is there to the worker, the spiritual worker, in that in which he toils? I've seen the task, or I love the King James, I've seen the travail. Ah, that's a birthing word, Solomon says. Oh, I've seen the travail that God has given to the sons of men. Ha ha. To occupy themselves with. What work has God called you to do in this season? I'll tell you what number one is, pray. I don't know about you, my prayer life is a whole lot different than it was a year ago. A whole lot different. Refocused, different context. Why? God's God birthed a bunch of things in me last year. I actually wrote a book last year. What do you do when you're in lockdown and can't travel? I guess you write a book. You do something. God birthed a book in me. I'm doing online stuff, doing videos, doing stuff I would have never done. It wasn't on my to-do list until a year ago. I've seen the travail that God has given. It's a gift. Prayer, pressure, travailing to occupy themselves. Now I admit, when I got home from the UK, after kind of really years of nonstop travel almost, what did you do? I self-quarantined and binged on Netflix and ate junk food. I'm just telling you, I'm human. I was not depressed, but kind of like, well, okay, a few more months, this will be over soon. And so I just like, that was the work. I occupied myself. It's like, after I was like, this is futile. All right, God, what we, what's going on here? And then suddenly the birthing and the prayer. and It presses us to pray, to bring forth purpose. In verse 11, we're going to take it part, three parts to verse 11. Number one, the purpose of a prophetic season is the process in which God is actually making something beautiful. What? I don't see any beauty in the last... What's so pretty about it? Let me help you with the language there. It's not just outward beauty. It's not cosmetics. It's not your physical appearance. What Solomon was getting at when he said, he has made everything beautiful in its time, in its eth, in its kairos time, there's something God is making beautiful, which means for us, spiritually, simply more Christ-like. The most beautiful part of your life is not on the outside. It's what's on the inside. It's Christ in you. That's what keeps a marriage together. That's what keeps things together in our relationships. It's the beauty of Christ in you, not our ugly flesh. Y'all got real quiet talking, church. Can I have one amen? From, how about the guy that we pay? Say amen. He gets paid to say amen. Well, anyway. Yeah, God's making something. You know what else that means? God's making something what? Full of resource. The idea of God making something beautiful in you, it means he's putting something in you that's a resource, not just for you to get through the season, but for somebody else that will go through a similar season. We all know people have gone through a tragic season, a season of loss. And there's Job's counselors always ready to go, but there's those people that walk up and put their arm around them and say, I know exactly what you're going through. Not to be trite, not to be, it's kind of like, had the same loss. You can relate. I can relate. Resource. 
the resource of empathy and sympathy, the resource of I know where you're at, I'm here for you, not trying to preach to you, not trying to magically lift you out of the season you're in, but I'm here with you. That's a resource. To resource somebody that's going through a, a tough time, you're there as a resource. God makes something beautiful in its time. Secondly, in verse 11, he says, also, hmm, he's put eternity into man's heart in those seasons. There's something more of eternity that comes into our mortality in these times and seasons. It's a time when God enlarges your heart for the lost and their eternal destiny. Time where you do have more empathy for those that are hurting and need healing. And my goodness, folks, we don't have to look very far to find a hurting world like never before. And God says, I've allowed you to be in this to be a resource to them. I'm putting eternity in your hearts. Do we care about the eternal state of someone's soul as we walk around the streets of Ballotin or Marshall? We walk around doing our thing, going shopping at Walmart. Do we walk around those aisles of Walmart so focused on ourselves and our needs that we don't have eternity in our hearts for someone else? I want that. I'm getting better, but I'm not there, but I want more. God put more eternity in my heart. He finishes up verse 11 and says, Yet so that he cannot find out. Here's a tough pill to swallow. He cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. Now, this will either kind of make you bitter or better, but you never fully discern the purpose of a season while you're in it. You don't fully know what God's up to while you're in the season. You can't find out what God is up to from the beginning to the end. You don't know until you come out of the season. And that's where you turn around and go, oh, now I understand. And that's why I have no hair up here because I'm constantly slapping my forehead going, I see, now I get it, Ferris. Now I see what God was doing. Or we look back and go, oh, God, I can't believe I prayed those prayers. He goes, I ignored them. That's why I got to pray in tongues. This is just a, this is a quick tip for all of you Pentecostals. You need to pray in tongues because you got to give the Holy Spirit time to edit your prayers in English. <laughs> God, I need this, and God, I want you to do this, and God, please do this. And he goes, oh, sure, go around. And the Holy Spirit goes, God, you need that. Don't do that. Make sure you don't do that. But do this and this and this. Oh, thank you. I just got the release. Yeah, because the Holy Spirit made intercession for you <laughs> according to the will of God, not your will. That was a little tip for everybody's prayer life. Now you'll have a better prayer life. Anyway, you never fully find out what God is doing while you're in the season. So get over it. Relax, pray, press. Allow him to put the pressure in the right spots to bring purpose into your life. One more verse, verse 14. Solomon gets prophetic now. He uses prophetic language. He says, ah, I perceive now that, ah, whatever God does endures forever. We've got to think about forever a little more. Forever. You know what worship is? I love this definition of worship. You know what worship is? Well, something we do 20 minutes in the morning before the sermon. Worship is our forever behavior. Do you know that you'll be a worshiper forever? You won't be able to help it when you get to heaven. You'll just be a worshiper. You'll constantly be amazed and dazzled by God's worth. The word worship comes from worthiness, His worth. Our forever behavior. I perceive that whatever God does will endure forever. God's seasons are for eternal purposes. God uses them to refocus our vision on what he's doing, on eternal things. I don't know about you, but this past year, I'm just a little more sensitive to eternity 
and what I do and what I think and how I interact with people, lost and saved. The next part, Solomon says, here's another, here's the last, last tough pill to swallow. It's the last let you down but brings you up where he says, look, nothing can be added to it. Nothing can be taken away. And you go, wait a minute. What about my authority in Christ? What about confession? What about the word of faith movement I grew up in? I don't know. What about all that? When Solomon says, nothing can be added to that season and nothing can be taken from it. You can't alter. You can't change what God is doing while you're in the season. You can't. I'm just giving your prayer life a real breather today. Some of you need to relax. I didn't say stop praying. Refocus your praying. Going back to Romans 8. What's the Holy Spirit praying? Do you realize when Romans 8 says, in our weakness, we don't know what to pray, but the Holy Spirit prays according to the will of God. He makes intercession for the saints. Right now, the Holy Spirit's praying for you. And a few verses later, in verse 32, it says, and Jesus ever lives to make intercession for us. Do you realize you have two-thirds of the Godhead right now praying for you? Two people said amen. The other's going, really? <laughs> That's in the Bible. I, I stole it out of the Bible. And here's the other thing. I got a question. Are you at least interested in what they're praying? If the Holy Spirit's praying right now and interceding for you and Jesus is joining him, that's a dynamite prayer meeting. Are you trying to get Jesus and the Holy Spirit to join your prayer meeting or are you going to go join theirs? Now we got four amens. Come on, we're getting there, Mike. We're getting there. They're, they're getting on board. Woohoo, get on the train. Yeah. You can't add or if the Holy Spirit's praying one prayer and you're countering him, guess who's going to win? Even Jesus had to deal with that in the garden. Father, is there any way out of this? Nevertheless, not my will, your will be done. We have four children. We have three sons and the rest are daughters. Just seeing if you're awake. Um, and so our second son uh, went through a very difficult health issue, crisis, really, several years ago. He, got, he started out with mononucleosis and that all these other viruses came in and baffled every doctor he went to. He was fatigued. He had about two hours of energy a day, and he was trying to build a business. They had their first child. It was just total meltdown, total crisis and did we pray? I mean, it thrust us right into pressure to pray. But how did we pray? Well, number one, we never stopped praying for his healing. Why? Because I know God heals. Now comes into those four, those four letter dirty words, time and waiting. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know the time sequence and I don't know the waiting. And I didn't really fully understand the purpose to every time and season, but I knew God had a purpose. I didn't like the package it came in, but I trusted God. We trusted God. Our family prayed like never before. We started a, a family group prayer text. Oh, we'd pray for each other here and there, but suddenly now we come together in unity and we're praying. And all it took was one quick text from him and said, having a bad morning, please pray. Boom, we're on it, praying. Shaka, just praying. Didn't know the answer. Did we want to speed it up? Absolutely. We wanted to be over quickly? Absolutely. Went on for four years. He went everywhere. He came to Mayo Clinic, went to Cleveland Clinic. If there was a clinic, he went there. <laughs> he went to every clinic. He went everywhere, and nobody could give him the remedy he needed. But in that process, God was making something beautiful. I didn't see it at first, didn't like it at first. But man, there was times. One time, they lived in Fort Myers, Florida, near Naples, and on the other coast, he was going to a clinic over in Fort Lauderdale, and he'd drive back and forth Alligator Alley, and one time he called me, and he's driving across, he goes, Dad, what? I go, he goes, oh, I see it. I go, what, an alligator? I was like, what? 
I see it. What? He goes, I see the kingdom. I said, tell me more. Tell me. And we had this like 45 minutes where he's describing things that God was showing him about his own crisis and his own formation and God's purpose and what God was opening his eyes to. I perceived what God was Suddenly, he's talking to me about the kingdom and his call to business and why God was doing this and what he had to let go of and what God was taking out of his life and what God was putting in. And I just sat there mesmerized and dumbfounded and energized and excited all at once, going, God, you are doing something I could have never done even as his dad. God was taking him somewhere. I, I just like, take me with you. I was like, I want, I want to come. Son. Take me into this thing that God's showing you. I couldn't add to that. I couldn't subtract from it. I couldn't make it stop sooner because God was doing a work in him. God was bringing purpose into his life. Oh, he's on fire for God now. He's got businesses going. He's just, he's at a level I could have never taken him to, even as his earthly father, even as a prophetic minister, a professional. I just like, wow, God, come on, some of you adult parents, God will take your kids where you could never take them. Stop sweating about it. Keep praying. But pray God prayers. Pray what God wants. Come on, we've all been there. Some of you are struggling right now. With an adult child. As an old sage said to me and my wife one time, he says, well, when your kids become adults, you do all your parenting on your knees. Ain't that the truth? I thought I'd get at least one amen. Come on, some of you gray heads out there, come on. Join me. Amen. We parent on our knees. We don't give up. We say, God, thy will be done. And finally, Solomon finishes in verse 14 by saying this, a statement of sovereignty in case you're wondering, how does this all play out? Well, here's the, here's the equalizer, Solomon says. God has done it. In case there's any questions. <laughs> What's going on here, God? Where's the devil in all this? You know, Solomon never mentions the devil. Not once. God has done it. Why? There must be a purpose. Oh, there's a great purpose behind acknowledging God's sovereignty, where he started. It's all under heaven. Every season, God has done it. Why? So that purpose, people will fear before him. I'm not scared of what God's going to do over the next weeks and months. I'm not scared. But I fear trying to navigate the days ahead without him. We must have that same fear. Fear not knowing that God is with me. But God has promises. Do you know what you need when you're thrust into a season that you didn't expect, that you didn't pray for, and suddenly, boom, here comes a global pandemic or whatever you want to call it, or maybe a personal crisis or a health crisis or something funny. Something comes into your life, a change of seasons, and our minds go, God. You realize, what do I need right now? Wisdom to get through this new season. You need wisdom. There's a promise from Solomon in Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10. He says this, the fear of the Lord, come on, finish it, is the beginning of wisdom. Where do we start when there's change of season in our lives? You start with the fear of the Lord. God, I have no idea what to do. I can't do this without you. But it's not a scary thing. It's a confidence builder. Oh, the fear of the Lord. You know what the promise comes from Psalm 31? Verse 19, I don't have it up here, but Psalm 31, 19, it says, Oh, what good things you have stored up for those who fear you. God has incredible treasure stored up for those who fear him. 
and for those who take refuge in Him. What a promise. Is the, is, are the, is the goodness of God for everybody? Nope. Sorry. There's a qualifier here. We can sing it all day. God is so good. We forget the other part of what First Peter talked about. You know there's a scripture that says, Behold the goodness and the severity of God, all in the same verse. I mean, we, I mean, I love God is so good. Everybody, oh, we like that. Okay, second verse, ready? God's so severe. Sometimes he's not near. God's so severe. But as we say, his goodness, it's his calling. His severity, his training. He's not mean, but he's intentional. He's severe about bringing Christ into you. So the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And, oh, what goodness you have laid up for those who fear you and take refuge in you. I pray in this season you're taking refuge in God. And he has incredible goodness stored up for you. That you can take to the bank. That's how we go forward and know what times and seasons mean to us. Confidence, treasure, resource, the fear of the Lord, a healthy fear of the Lord. We will walk in confidence into the days of darkness ahead, not knowing, but trusting. And we can truly say with Solomon, we will trust in the Lord with all of our hearts. Not on our own understanding, but in all of our ways, we will acknowledge him. Guess what, folks? He will. Say, he will. He will direct our paths in Jesus' name. Let me pray for you. You're here this morning, and out of those 28 seasons, I don't even have to prophesy it. I'll just say it. I know every one of you are in one of those seasons. Good, bad, or ugly, you're in one of those seasons. And today we have to just receive the grace of God into our lives for His Word. We sang it this morning about His Word changing us, His Word touching us. We sang it this morning. If you were singing Waymaker with your, actually with your brain engaged, like sometimes I'm thinking about what I'm going to do. So come on, let's be honest. We're worshiping. Our mouths are moving, but our brains like, what am I going to have for dinner? It's like, no, wait, okay. Even when I don't see it, he's working. Even when I don't feel it, he's working. He never stops. He never stops working to put eternity in our hearts. He never stops working to bring us into a place of travail and prayer and birthing. He never stops working for our good as long as we fear Him. Church, listen, He never stops working. He has a plan to reach the lost in Balaton, and you are a huge part of it. You're not the only part, but you're a big part of it. So get ready. Get ready for God to rearrange the furniture. Now I'm going to get a little prophetic. Mike and Cindy, the Lord's just got some things churning in your wheelhouse. Yes, you're going on a nice break, okay? But get ready for God to download into you new purpose, new plans, new architecture. And here's the thing. You're going to see things that need to be built, but you're not going to put your hands on them. You're going to raise up a generation that's going to build like David did with Solomon. There's going to be some things in your heart that you're going to say, you need to build this path. I can't build it. I see it, but I can't build it. God says he's going to release the builder in you that built this church up to this point. But this is a place of time and a release into another generation, another system to do things, to migrate into new positions, new food sources because there's new nesting coming upon victory where there's going to be a birthing of new souls and you're going to have to get ready for growth. I love this room today, but I'm going to say it by the Spirit, it's too small. Now, there's a lot of ways to to deal with that, okay? 
going to two services. Now their strategy comes in, but God is going to give you insight to strategy because there's an architecture of the spirit that God wants to download to Mike, the elders and other leaders, and even your oversight uh, team is going to help birth what God wants to birth. We have one mission, build what God wants to build, period. You're going to hear it by the spirit. As Mike and Cindy go away and be refreshed, and what God's going to give them some new chapters, get some fresh journals. I just see fresh journals and fresh things. Cindy, God's going to explode your ministry to women. You better come back with vitamins in a good way, spiritual vitamins. You are going to pass out spiritual nuggets to another generation. You got that in you. You got another generation in you, Proverbs 31 woman. You are. Good thing you married a Proverbs 31 man. You know, Cindy, there's something that God has yet to release in you. And you need this sabbatical as much as this guy does. You need to go away and say, God, what is it? You, what's my message? It's like God's fine-tuning a message in you of hope and rebuilding a broken generation. You guys are going to rebuild broken walls. Wall builders. Ah, I like that. God's called you to yet to be wall builders. But there's also a powerful release coming over you. As it flows down upon you and releases you, you will release ministry like you've never seen before. Not a bad thing, but you've come to a point of confluence. There's got to be this breaking through, and it's going to happen because there's going to be a real surrender. Can I just say that in love? This is going to be not only, it's going to be the sabbatical of surrender. Not I surrender all I've done. No, you have successfully walked through every season, brother and sister, but... There's a new season coming, and God's given you this time. You can't, you can't flip the switch on a weekend. You can't flip the switch in a week. You need this time so that God can reform you. Beautiful word. Only appears one time in the New Testament. Hebrews chapter 9 talks about the times of reformation. That's the word kairos. Kairos times of reform, diorthesis, making internal adjustments that bring external change. Massive internal adjustments in you. You guys don't play fair for your age. There's a youthful inside to you. God has just said, you're still flexible enough, son and daughter, that I can reconfigure your internal structures to bring external change to those that you love and have raised up. You're not going to lose anything. God, hear what God's saying. You're not going to lose anything. It's only gain. But the only way you do it is in the kingdom paradox that if you lose your life, Will you pray for them in the next coming weeks and months? They need your prayers to birth what God wants to birth in them because it's going to affect you. You intercessors, get into the God's birthing chamber. Allow travail to come. It's just a form of supplication, which is going to God and emptying yourself and getting ready for God to put something in you you didn't have before. Supplication, the lost art of supplication is powerful in this season. Yes, intercession, but we must come and pour out ourselves as Matthew 9, 37, 38, pray the Lord of the harvest that he'll send forth laborers. That's supplication. That's not like for sure I got it. It's like, God, we're pouring ourselves out. We're supplicating, beseeching that, God, you would send forth laborers. This room is full of laborers. Get ready. God's going to send you forth. Maybe down the street, maybe Belton, maybe Marshall, maybe this region, who knows, to the uttermost parts of the world. That's the great commission we all yearn for. You're poised for it. Oh, I'm so excited. I am so excited for you. I see the future. And you will too. So, Father, we thank you. By divine design, you've brought this 
church, this group of called out ones, to a point of confluence where something's going to break open and break upon them. Let me just say this last quote out of Micah chapter 2, verse 13, where Micah the prophet talks about the breaker. And we use, we overuse maybe the word breakthrough. But he says this, the breaker goes out before them, the Lord at their head. Church, you need to know God is your breaker. The king goes out before you. Follow your king. He will be the king that brings breakthrough. It says he breaks through and we follow the king, the king of breakthrough. Just keep following your leaders. Follow Jesus. Be men and women of the word and allow God to bring you through this season accurately, prophetically, and you'll have great success for him. Can you say amen?